All right. My name is Jim, by the way, and it's great to be here with you guys and, and talk about the book of Revelation to teach from chapter 18. You know, chapter 17 that we looked at last week and chapter 18 both mentioned Babylon. Last week I went into a little bit of the historical facts about Babylon. It was a real place, right? The Tower of Babel was erected there or they attempted to erect it there. Uh, we know that Nebuchadnezzar ruled there. We know that the Jews were exiled there. We know that you read about it in the book of Daniel, for example. We also know that ba uh, Babylon came to represent a world system. It came to represent idolatry and pantheism and the world system throughout the centuries. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a real place. And it doesn't mean that it very well may be revived. Right? So as we look at chapter 17 and 18 and we read about Babylon, it could mean a spiritual Babylon. It does. But it could also be that the city of Babylon will absolutely be restored and rebuilt. It currently is in modern day Iraq. That's where Babylon is located. Interestingly enough, it is in the center geographically of the world, it's the center point which I think is very interesting, the central landmass of the world geographically. And Babylon is mentioned over 280 times in Scripture. The only city that's mentioned more in the Bible is what city? We learned last week. Jerusalem. So we have this contrast, Jerusalem, which is the city of God, and then certainly the new Jerusalem, right, coming someday. But then Babylon represents the world and everything about the world, the world system. So in chapter 17 last week, we saw a woman who was used to signify a one world religion. All beliefs coming together, being tolerant of everything, coming together. I want to say something that sounds really rude, but... Being so open-minded that, that your brain falls out is the thing I think, you know. Sometimes there's this idea that we're just going to agree with everything and lose truth in the process, right? And this one world religion that the world is heading towards is like that, just embracing of, of, of everything so that no one is ever offended and there's no absolute truth. That's where the world is headed. But of course, we know that the church will be raptured before we see that time uh, totally come to fruition. So in chapter 17, we see a woman used to signify this one world religion, and she's called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, abominations of the earth. All right, some, that's some kind of title, isn't it? And this was all under the sway of the beast. Now in chapter 18, we see Babylon again, but now the representation is the commercial or the economic world system. So it seems like chapter 17 probably represented the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Because if you recall, the Antichrist uh, came, he comes into the tribulation period being a hero. And, and, and it showed this one world religion riding on this beast that represented the Antichrist, and they needed one another. The one world religion needed the beast to have clout, 
and the beast needed the one world religion. Why did they need each other? Because the, the Antichrist had to come and make everyone think that he was good and that he was docile and to, to gain trust. But in a three and a half year period, remember that the abomination of desolation happens where he says that he is God and he will be worshipped as God. And then he, along with all of his political supporters, destroy the one world religion, that false religion. They destroy it. Why? So that the beast, the Antichrist, can be the one that is worshipped. All right, so chapter 18 is probably the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. So 17 represents the first three and a half. One world religion is destroyed. Chapter 18 represents the economic world system, most likely coming to its fruition during the second half of the tribulation period or that last three and a half years. In chapter 18, we see that the world economic system is booming, it's becoming, and then we're going to find out in the scripture tonight, it says that in an hour, it was judged and destroyed. In an hour. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily an actual hour, but meaning that it wasn't a month, it wasn't a week, it wasn't a day, it was an hour. It was a short period of time that the, economically the world is brought to its knees. We're not talking about a bankruptcy. We're not talking about curfews and shutting down. We're talking about completely destroyed. The world system brought to its knees by God. So we're going to be looking at that tonight. Okay, here we go. Revelation 18. The first point I want to make is that there was a need for judgment. And we're going to see that here. Let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Who's talking here? Who's the one speaking? John. The apostle John. You know, island of Patmos. The revelator, we call him. He was an old dude. Right, He was around 90 years old when he received this revelation. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the Merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now, the first thing we see here is it talks about an angel. And we know in the Bible that there are different rankings of angels, don't we? We know that there's archangels, and we know that there's cherubim and seraphim. We know that there's uh, many ranks of angels. And this one obviously is an important high-ranking angel. It doesn't tell us who it is, but it does say, first of all, that it had authority, it tells us that. It tells us that it was light. It had light. It was illuminating light. From what? From the presence of God. Where did this angel immediately come from? He came from heaven, from the presence of God. And he was reflecting the glory of God as he came into a dark world. Do you remember as the vile judgments or bold judgments, it means the same thing, as they were poured out, one of, one of the things that happened was earthquakes and lightning and darkness covering the earth 
imagine this bright angel illuminating the whole earth, it says, coming from heaven. So that's what they're seeing. They're seeing an angel with authority, an angel that is light, representing the power and the authority of God. And it also says he has a mighty voice. So he is booming out his words. This is not the first time that we see or hear of an angel or a group of angels that are bright, that have light. Remember the announcement of Christ's birth? Remember that? When they appeared to shepherds in the field, in the darkness of the field of the night, these angels shone, and it says, and a bright light shone round about them. And the shepherds were sore afraid, it says in the Old Testament. They were sore afraid, meaning they were afraid, they were very afraid. So we know that angels can have that bright light reflecting the glory of God. I think that's beautiful. And this passage also said that demons that had been stirred up and released throughout the tribulation period are dwelling here. Did you see that? Look at that. It says it's a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Now, birds represent evil typically in Scripture. Not always, but typically. For example, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, it says that some of the seed fell on stony ground, right? Some of the seed fell by the way, and birds came and took the seed. And then when Jesus begins to interpret the parable for the disciples, he says the evil one came and stole the seed, right? So I'm just telling you there's precedent for birds representing something evil. And in this case, I believe what it's saying, it's another type of demon, some kind of winged creature, a hated and unclean bird, some kind of vile-looking creature, and it's a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit. I think what we're seeing here are different types of demons. I think we're seeing, I mean, it doesn't say that exactly, but that's what I'm picturing, different types or classifications. If there are classifications of angels, could there not be classifications of fallen angels? Yes, I believe so. Um, Let's look at Roman, I mean Revelation, pardon me, chapter 9. Let me hear some pages rustling. Come on. Revelation chapter 9. You guys aren't asleep, are you? Don't make me get loud. Okay. It says in verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. 
One woe is past. Okay, so we see, and this is not the only time in Revelation that we see or read about demons being released. Different types of demonic hosts being released during the tribulation period. So we see that Babylon had become a place for every foul spirit, dwelling place of demons, and a cage for every unclean and evil bird. All right. It mentions fornication. Again, this is spiritual adultery, spiritual adultery. And this is a similar uh, picture that was drawn for us in chapter 17 that people were fornicating with Babylon. They were choosing Babylon over the living God. Notice that it speaks of luxury and richness. And we're going to get into this in just a moment. You probably don't think that luxury and richness is bad. And, and it's not bad in and of itself. But what we're going to see here is the worship of luxury and the worship of money is, of course, the worship of self. The worship of self-gratification. The worship of leisure. And the worship of anything other than the worship of God is idolatry. So imagine this, the church has been raptured and the tribulation saints have been martyred because they have not received the mark of the beast. Now you may say, tribulation saints, what does that mean? Remember, the church is raptured, but during the tribulation, many people are going to come to know Christ. How is that possible? Remember the two witnesses. Remember the 144,000 evangelists. Remember the angel that flew over proclaiming the gospel. Remember the voice and the blood of the martyrs crying out from the ground to people. And remember the written record of the word of God that hopefully will still exist at that time. People are coming to Christ and then they are being killed for that. So the church is raptured, the saints are being killed, and what do you have left? I want you to picture that you have a Christ-rejecting, godless society that has turned its back completely on God and has embraced an orgiastic sense of greed and materialism. Now, before you think that that's impossible, I want you to think about where we are in today's society. I don't think it's that impossible because I think that even Christians are tempted to fall into that trap. And, 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 you know, if that's all you had, if you didn't have the hope of Jesus, if you didn't have glory, if you didn't have heaven, if you didn't have this conviction that when you pray in faith that God moves mountains, if you didn't have that, what else would you have? You would have addiction. You would have pulling at anything that would give you pleasure, including worshiping materialism. Don't, don't think that that's a far leap. Because, but for the grace of God, there goes you and me. But thank God for his saving power. So the picture that's being painted of what that time is going to be like is a crazy picture. This is not just... Black, is it called Black Friday? The Friday after Thanksgiving, what's that called? It's not just a Black Friday sale where people go crazy and beat each other up over TV. By the way, you guys go Black Friday shopping, you're crazy. Uh, you're brave. 
much braver than me. But it's not just that. We're not just talking about Black Friday. We're talking about so much more and so much worse. This is the worship of things and the worship of self, the worship of leisure and self-gratification, self-indulgence. So what we see here in my second point is come out or you will be judged. This is what God says in this passage. Look at verse 4. It says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. So what, what we see here is that there are obviously still some people that are believing or that are on the fence of believing. And, and, and God says to them, come out. Don't fall into that trap. And I think he's saying that to us today. Come out of her, my people. Come out of what? Come out of the worship of things, of materialism. But we'll get into that in just a minute. It says in verse 5, for her sins have reached to heaven. And here the Greek actually means they have been glued together they have become one and they're reaching to heaven. Why is that significant? Why is that interesting or ironic? Because this is Babylon and sins have become a tower reaching to heaven. Remember the story of Babel where the people said, I will reach heaven without God. We do not need God. Mankind can do this. And they began to build the tower of Babel as uh, almost an affront and an insult to God. And here we see their sins have reached heaven. And the word here, it means coalesced. Coalesced. And you know, uh, you guys, don't be grossed out by this. But the other day I couldn't sleep. It was like 2 in the morning. And uh, I decided I would watch TV. So I turned on the TV. And guess what was playing? Dr. Pimple Popper. Do you guys know what that is? How many of you out there know what Dr. Pimple Popper is? And how many of you actually like watching it? Be honest. God is watching you right now. Okay. So I watched, I watched an episode of that. It's disgusting. But anyway, um, it's disgusting, but I loved it. I was like, oh, that's disgusting. This lady had little bitty tumors. This, isn't, this part isn't funny that she had tumors. But she had tumors, and they were individual tumors, like hundreds of them. But they had coalesced, meaning that the tumors had grown together and they had become one tumor. So what started out as hundreds of little tumors the size of pencil erasers had become blisters that had popped and the skin between those blisters dissolved and it became this one gigantic blister. We're going to have dinner after this, just kidding. But I thought when I watched that and I kept hearing the doctors saying they've coalesced, I thought that's what, this, that's what this word means in this passage. That their sins have coalesced. They have become glued together in one giant tower. 
And it says, and God has remembered her iniquities. He had never forgotten it. That's not what it means. It means he is addressing the situation. And he says something interesting. He says, repay her double. You know what is repaid double throughout scripture? Stealing. If you steal something, you have to repay it double. That's what it says in the Old Testament. And so I see here that this commercial system in Babylon, it's as though it has ripped people off. And God's like, they're going to get twice the punishment for their greed. Very interesting to me. And it says that this economic system says in her heart, I sit as queen, am no widow, and will not see tomorrow. What does this mean? It means that there's self-indulgence and self-focus and pride. She considers herself untouchable. And I want to tell you that the world system considers itself untouchable. But it says her sins reached to heaven and God saw it and God is going to deal with it. And I want to tell you right now that God sees everything. And sometimes you may think, why isn't God taking care of this right now? And you wonder why he's waiting. Don't you worry. Because God sees everything. I have a couple of scriptures here that I want to read that talk about us coming out, we, coming out of the world system or coming away from the world. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14, says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I just want to point out that this is in the New Testament. Some people say, well, that's Old Testament. It's different now. No, this is in the New Testament being quoted from the Old Testament. It is a truth then and it's a truth now that we are to come out of the world. Now, this, when it says what, you know, what does an unbeliever have to do with a believer, it's not saying that you're not supposed to love people, you're not supposed to share the gospel, you're not supposed to, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about your life is not supposed to be linked in such a way that it changes who you are and what you stand for. It's not supposed to change who you are and what you stand for. Right? We are supposed to be a light, but we are not supposed to be contaminated by the darkness. Some of us are trying so hard to be relevant. By relevant, I mean we want to look like the world, we want to act like the world, we want to sin like the world, so people can think we're cool. That we have lost our ability completely to bring them into the light. Because they, don't, they, they see no difference between them and us. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I think we're all the same. We get wrapped up in stuff 
We get wrapped up with acquiring. We get wrapped up with the American dream. We get wrapped up with saving and retirement. There's nothing wrong with retiring and having some money to retire with. There's nothing wrong with saving. There's nothing wrong with having a house. I'm not saying that. Listen to what I'm saying. We get so wrapped up in it that we forget that somewhere there's a line that God does not want us to cross. Somewhere there's a line where he says, I don't want your possessions to own you. I want you to live for me and surrender everything to me. Somewhere there's a line. Where is that line? Where's that line for you? Because some, and sometimes we think that only rich people have this problem. But I want to tell you that there's a lot of people without money that think more about money than rich people do. And there's a lot of people that don't have anything that covet and envy and wish they did. And that's just as bad. It's okay to have stuff and it's okay to want to take care of your family. But somewhere there's a line and we need to remember what this is going to show us is that all of the amazing stuff that we buy and save and do, this very building right here is a wonderful place to worship God. And someday it's going to burn. Your house, your car. And someday it's going to be ash. But you know what's not going to be ash? You know what's not going to be worthless? You know what's never going to lose its value? Your relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that he's called you to be obedient. The fact that he's giving you children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews or neighbors or a spouse or friends or co-workers that he desires for you to reach out to and have a relationship with. Because those things are eternal. You take those people with you right into heaven. Those are the things that really matter. How much money we give to missions. How much money we give to the gospel. What we do to see this world change for the kingdom of God. It's eternal. It matters. Stopping and talking to someone and taking some time to look at them in the face. Praying with people. It's eternal. The other stuff may be nice. It may be a blessing, but let's keep it where it belongs in our priority list. None of those material possessions are eternal. Only what we do for God, inspired by him, will last. These are e eternal investments into the lives of our family and others. Revelation 18.8 says, Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. This is what it's saying, is that Babylon's not too big to fall. The world system is not too big to fall. I think that we've all recognized the truth in that statement. We've had a great example recently with the pandemic. We've seen how quickly a country can shut down We've seen how quickly something can, can change on a massive scale. Know this, that God is able to bring the judgment that he has promised to bring. He 
is able. And this is a reminder for us to continue to share the gospel. First of all, for us to know Christ and have a relationship with him. Second of all, to tell others about him. The third point is God brings the judgment in this passage and then we see hearts revealed. Let's take a look. Starting in verse 9, it says, The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. I'm going to pause right there for a second. So we see some interesting things here. We see this list. Why this list? Why does it have to be so detailed of all of these things and people's reaction to them? I think it's because, uh, for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of the biggest ones is I think that we're supposed to see that there is a total reckoning. There's not one thing that's left out of this. There's not one commodity that's left. There's not one item that can be sold or fun that can be had. And I think we're also supposed to see that they are putting together the bodies and souls of men and women with items that can be sold at the store. They're all jumbled together. They're no more important than a vase or a rug or a necklace, or a piece of fabric. That is the mentality of this world system. That the people don't matter. That's, by the way, if you think that slavery is an issue that ended 150 years ago, you are wrong on so many levels. Slavery is alive and well around the world. Slavery is still a very credible threat to humankind. And there's not just slavery in the sense that you may think of slavery, but the sex trade and trafficking of men and women and children, particularly little girls, that's happening all around the world. And it's going to be even more so in this godless society during the last part of the tribulation. You can only imagine the vileness of what is going on. Verse 14 says, The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, Alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who traveled by ship, 
sailors and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of a burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. So these people were in shock. They couldn't believe that something so prosperous could be brought down so easily and quickly. The people were just like the system itself. Do you remember what she said in verse 7? The system said, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will see no sorrow. And that's exactly what the people thought. We're going to ride this out. I'm invincible. Nobody can stop me. Nobody can end this. We're going to ride this out. We're going to party all the way And God had a different plan. They're all seeing everything go up in flames. And they says they stood back so as not to catch it, almost like it's a disease. They don't want to catch the destruction. They stand back and watch from afar because what they had loved to be immersed in, now they want to be detached from. People are grieving their losses And how quickly that can happen. It happened in one hour, it says. I mentioned the pandemic. And I think about how quickly things changed. There were shutdowns. And I'm thinking, imagine the toll of something like what is described in the Great Tribulation. Imagine the toll that that will have on society and government and people. And how quickly it can take down the economy. And as I said earlier, this is not bankruptcy. This is a total destruction. Verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. God is not to be trifled with. Christ will do exactly what he says he will do. And all the demons and evil spirits of hell cannot win against Jesus Christ. Verse 21 Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. What we see here is the judgment is over. The judgment for Babylon is done and it's permanent. There's no going back from it. There's no remembering the good old days. These things that they once enjoyed will never be repeated in Babylon again. There's no cause for rejoicing, no life-giving events like weddings. But what was left was the blood of those killed by Satan and his followers, the blood of the prophets, saints, and all who were slain is all that's noteworthy that's left in Babylon. You know, sometimes I feel like when we read about God's judgment, we feel sad, we feel overwhelmed, and 
Some people may even say, but I thought God was a God of love, and how can he do this, and how can this happen? And, and the question is not, how can God do this? The question is, how could we, as human beings, not respond to a loving God? How could we, as human beings, not take the hand that is being reached out to us, that nail-pierced hand? How can humanity just continue to reject their opportunity to come to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It says in Ezekiel that God does not take the pleasure in the death of the wicked. We know that it says that God would, that all would come to repentance and yet make no mistake, there is a judgment. Make no mistake, for the Christ-rejecting world, there is a judgment that will lead to eternal destruction for them. And we can, I understand that that may make us sad, but we need to realize the importance of our sharing the love of Christ and what he's done, what God did by sending his son so that they can come in to the fold, that they can know God. Why show us all of this in scripture? If the church is going to be taken out, if the church is going to be raptured, why is this here? Who is it here for? Well, it's here for us, and it's here for the world. It's here for a record of God in his wisdom and omniscience to show his power and his wisdom that he foresaw and knew that this would occur. It's here for many reasons, but uh, it's here to show us that God hates sin but loves people. He hates sin, but he loves people. Do you know that he continues all through the book of Revelation? Have you noticed how he continues to reach out for people, giving them the opportunity to repent? With every judgment that occurs, there's an opportunity for people to fall on their face and repent and say, God, I'm sorry I choose you. It's a reminder to not be caught up in religion or materialism. Not just for the, the Christians that might be uh, there on that day, but it's a reminder for us to not be caught up in religion. Remember we talked about religion last week. Religion is not a relationship. It's a series of things that we think we have to do to make ourselves acceptable to God. But instead we come to God. We receive Christ as our personal Savior. It's a work that he does in us. And then we walk with him. He changes our lives. This is not something that we have to do, some kind of religious system or boxes that we have to check. It's also not just accepting all religions as being truth because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's a real relationship with a real king that we really worship. It's a reminder not to be caught up in materialism, but rather to surrender all to Christ. Surrender all. He made a way for people to know him and to avoid this time called the Great Tribulation. He made a way for people to know him and to avoid the Great Tribulation. But I want to tell you there's something worse than enduring the Great Tribulation, and that's going to be hell itself. The Great Tribulation may last for seven years, but hell is for eternity. This book is a testimony so that the lost would come to Christ. 
The book of Revelation is a testimony now and it's a testimony then that there is a way to come to Christ. And it's a testimony for us as God's people to not lose heart, to not lose heart because he is victorious. Make no mistake, God is victorious. Christ wins the day. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this evening and we thank you. I thank you for your word. God, we recognize that you're not to be trifled with. We recognize that you are creator God. But we also recognize that you are loving and you have made a way for us to know you, to come to you, to be reconciled to you through your son Christ. And we thank you for that. And God, we don't want to be a people that fall into materialism or religion or anything else. We just want to love you. We want to know you all the more. We want to walk with you more closely every day. We want to be transformed more and more into the image of your dear son. And so we ask you, God, to meddle in our lives, to get in there and to get our attention. We trust you, Father. We trust in your mercy. We trust in your grace. We trust in your long-suffering, and we thank you, Father. Thank you that your word says, he who has begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it. We're so grateful. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you tonight, uh, if you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, so if you want to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've never made that decision, I want to ask you to do that. And it's really easy. I'm going to tell you how to do it. The hardest part is overcoming your own sense of pride and self-will and deciding that you want to surrender to God. If you recognize in yourself that you need Him, you need your sins to be forgiven, and you need a relationship with Him, and you recognize you cannot do this on your own, then this time is for you. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is to say a prayer in your heart to God. And I'm gonna tell you what I would pray. And then we're gonna take some time and let you pray. I would tell God that I need him that I believe in Jesus, that I want my sins forgiven, please forgive me. I surrender my life to you. I would encourage you to say a prayer, something like that, in your own words. We're just gonna have a time of silent prayer while Tony plays the guitar. This is a great time for you to say that to the Lord. said that prayer tonight, would you lift your hand up? 
you lift your hand up and let me see? Is there anybody here who says, I said that prayer, Pastor Jim? I see your hand. Is there anybody else? All right, for the one who lifted your hand, I want you to know that one of our follow-up uh, team is going to come over and talk to you and just ask if you have any questions. They'll give you a Bible and pray with you. To the believers in this room or watching online, if you have struggled with materialism, if you feel that your walk with God has become religious, it's just by rote, there's no passion, there's no talking to Him and communing with Him and listening to Him, and you need that refreshing, or you need to repent from materialism, nobody else looking around right now, would you lift your hand up so I can pray with you? Is there anybody that says, Pastor Jim, that's me. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. I see your hand. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you. God, we do pray for a new passion for you, God that our priorities would be lined up, that you would help us, God. You would help us to seek you, to desire you more than we desire leisure or rest or luxury or things or worry or position. God, we want to value you. We want to treasure you above all. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for materialism. We surrender everything to you and we trust you, God. We thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. All right, you guys, let's stand and sing.